Well, let's take our Bibles and go to Nahum chapter 3, verse 17. Nahum chapter 3, verse 17. Now, this is going to be uh, tonight. I'll be preaching the last sermon in this book. We'll finish out the book tonight. And so, uh, uh, come on back and you can say, I was there to end. Okay? And so, maybe we'll give you a t-shirt that says, I was there at the end. All right, uh, Christ is coming, and I appreciate that song. What a tremendous song. That should be what dominates the thought of a believer. We're looking towards his coming again, and so I always try to stay true to his word. Uh, the title of my sermon t- this morning is Last Day's Leadership. A man was on a long walk out in the country, But he became so thirsty that when he came up on a farmhouse, he decided to stop. And he knocked on the door, and the lady came and answered. He says, can I have a drink? Well, she invited him to come on in, as the country people would normally do, and offered him a bowl of soup by the fire. And so he eats the soup, and uh, they're talking, and they had a little pig, just a little pig in there, kind of like a lot of people have a dog or something. She had a little pig in there. And that pig was just running around there, was right next to the guy and, and all that, and, and giving him a great deal of attention. So when the guy finished his little bowl of soup and was getting ready to leave and walk out, he says, my, he says, I have never seen a pig this friendly. She said, oh, he's not that friendly. You were eating out of his bowl. Now, there is some leadership there that says, economically, just use one bowl, okay? And, and, and you save money on soap and all the other stuff. I don't know the guy ever went back, okay? But, uh, but uh, last day's leadership also seems to lead to a mess. And so we're going to look at some of those things here in our text today. It says, Thy crowned are as the locust, and thy captains as the great grasshoppers, which camp in hedges in the cold day. But when the sun ariseth, they flee away, and their place is not found where they are. Thy shepherds slumber. And we'll stop right there. Father, As we look into your word today, I pray thy Holy Ghost would just take over. Lord, I can't do it. I don't have the power, the wisdom, or the ability, but you do. So I pray that you just use your word, rebuke the devil. And Lord, I pray that you would just speak to hearts. I know in in an auditorium like this, and those listening by internet and radio, there's got to be a trouble, a trial, a heavy heart. And I pray that you'd use your word today to minister to them by the Holy Ghost in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian kingdom. And at that time, they were the number one world power. Uh, The state of their leadership, though, had a problem. And, and they will be suddenly destroyed because they have a state of leadership became very lax in the things they would do. As a matter of fact, their destruction, as Proverbs 29, 1 says, 
was without remedy. It wasn't until the 1800s they even found remnants of where that place existed at one time. As a matter of fact, they still haven't found all of it. That tells you how complete the destruction God said was going to happen did happen. And so if you ever doubt God's word, just remember, we have an example presently of what he said he was going to do and it did. And there is a real hell and that will be forever and ever. And there will never be an escape from there. And so you need to understand that. Now, I was in a class in college, and the professor told us, he said uh, that art normally forms the morals, the attitudes, and the life of society. Whether that art is in music, or painting, or sculpturing, or writing, or acting, the art forms of art seem to direct the morals and, and the attitudes of a society. First, it will affect the leadership. It'll work its way down to the populace. And in time, a nation following that will be defeated and destroyed. And that's usually what happens. We look to our text, we see that there are three divisions of, of a failing leadership. First of all, we're told about the crown here in verse 17. The crown would represent the kings, the, 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 the princes, the, the families of the king. And they are, in a sense, the lawmakers. They're the ones that are counselors and others that are there for the king to be used in the governing of, of the land. And they had great power. We remember Nebuchadnezzar, he made a decree after he made this great big image, and he says, anybody doesn't bow down to it, toss them into this furnace of fire. He had the power to do it, and he carried it out, only he didn't know the power of God to preserve. I think of Nero. Nero gave an order, throw out all the Christians in Rome, and they threw them all out. Augustus gave the order that all the world should be taxed. Going back to the place where they were born, that's why Mary and Joseph went back to Bethlehem. But he had the power to not only give the law, but to cause great consequences if that law was not obeyed. We could go on talking about more of a modern day issue. For an example... Muslims and communists in their nations have made laws against Christians. Uh, you know, I find that really interesting in the Muslim nation. They come over here and say, we call them Allah. You call them by a different name, but we're worshiping the same God. Well, you go over there and say Jesus Christ, and they're going to kill you. They don't recognize him as Almighty God. But they want us to call their God Allah and recognize him. Uh, we stand for the Lord. And we're going to stay with him. And, and, and that's it. And we're not going to change his name to please anybody. But mom, Muslim and communist nation have laws against Christianity and its spread. We have American judges and lawmakers also outlawing the, even the mention of that precious name in the public fanfare. 
as I said, I think it was last week, that even when a valedictorian is praying in a public graduation and uses the name of Jesus, they, they cut off the microphone in some of these places. And so, we see all of that in these enemies of the cross, these enemies of God, are often referred to as locusts. You go to the book of Joel, you read about the locusts and all they destroyed. And, and you read throughout the Bible various times of the locusts coming on and the destruction they bring. The locusts destroy. They go into the fields, especially when they're together in, in large companies. They go in and they destroy the fruit and the vegetation. Just about the time it's ready for harvesting, just before it's ready to harvest, they come in and they destroy it and, it. and it hurts the economy as well as the food supply of a country. They're flying together. And God used that to show the armies, the wicked armies. For an example of, of Assyria. This is what he's doing here. The Assyrian army at one time, headed up by Nineveh, was like the locusts. They would go in and they'd destroy a place. They'd take everything it had, they would plunder it and go off somewhere else. Babylon would be referred to that way as well. And it was to show destruction from the evil. Now, a locust can act individually, but it's so much more fearful when they work together. You say, well, why do you say that? Simply this. Jesus said, a house divided will fall. And he was talking about Satan. He said, you're casting out devils by, by the devil, by Lucifer. No, he said, if I was doing that, his house would fall. Satan is united in his opposition to us. So we need to understand that. He comes after us. He wants to uh, de defeat the counsel of Jesus Christ. And he cannot. The word of God will stand forever. But that counsel is defeated in the hearts and minds of so many people. The next group <clears throat> is the great grasshoppers, we're told. He calls them the captains. They represent the military, the police state, uh, and, and, and things of that nature. Now, back in that day, the military was your law enforcement. You didn't have sheriff's departments, police departments, and things like that. No, it was, it was the military headed up all of that. Uh, Roman guards would be called to keep order in Jerusalem, as we read in, in the various areas in the New Testament. And so that's what they would do. And they would camp in the cold day in the hedges. <clears throat> that is, they couldn't be seen. They were protected and well covered. They were well fortified. <coughs> Excuse me. They fed on the foliage. The fruit of the land. In other words, they plundered. And that's what those armies would do. They would go in and they would hit it real fast. There'd be a quick moving army. Get in there and they would destroy it says, when the sun arises, they flee away, picturing for us that an army hears of its city being attacked, and they come, and all of a sudden, this other group that did the, the work, they'd see they're coming, and they flee away. They take off, 
and they, there's nothing they can do about it because they move quickly. But as the armies of those days, they would come in and they would vandalize, they would rape, and they would take the spoils of war. Now, what happened in verses 13 through 16 of this text in Nineveh is what Nineveh was actually doing to other cities and countries and nations. They thought they were too big to fall. But they did not know the power of Almighty God. It's not known where they are. We will never see them again. That country, that place, it is lost. As I said earlier, they can't even do all the digging yet. They haven't brought it all up yet. But its leadership and its government and its military was blind to the problems they had. They put faith in the great surrounding walls they had going around their city. Nobody could do it. Remember the Titanic? God himself cannot. And the very first time out, it goes down. Well, that's kind of the attitude Nineveh has. We've got these great walls. We're well protected. If they had looked at populous no in Egypt, they had the same attitude and it was destroyed. And God destroyed it the same way with a flood of waters. And now, here they are, they say, hey, look, we're out in the middle of nowhere. They're not going to get us. And a flood of waters takes down the walls and the armies destroy them. So what I'm wanting you to see is simply that when God moves, there's no power in this world that can prevent his moving. Whether it's against the individual, whether it's against the country. And when he comes back, the heavens being on fire shall melt with fervent heat. The earth will bounce as a ball, the Bible tells us. And the question every person must ask themselves is, what side of the great divider am I? You see, Jesus Christ is the divider. He said he even divides in the home. He said that the father gets the son, the mother gets the daughter, the mother-in-law gets the daughter-in-law. He says, That's, he's a divider. And in the home, you've got to decide, am I going to stand with Christ? And if I've got children, i got other relatives that will not stand with Christ, and I'm going to have to withstand their attacks, but I'm standing with Christ. And that's the stand we take. Where do I stand? Do I stand up for Jesus or do I not? And so, there's a failure, a great failure. They did not see the darkness that was coming to destroy them. Now, we've seen the Captains, and we've, we've seen them, and we've seen the uh, lawmakers, but the next group are the shepherds. And that was in verse 18. And he said there, the shepherds slumber. You know, it's interesting, in Ezekiel chapter 34, that whole chapter is dedicated to the shepherds as the sheep are scattered, and God condemns them. 
You say, you mean God gets upset about a bunch of lambs just wandering off? No. He's picturing those people who teach and preach the Word of God and stand on the Word of God going from it and allowing the flocks to be taken in by so many other doctrines and false things. And it destroys God's house. It destroys God's flock. Isn't it interesting that in Israel, when they started incorporating some of Baal and some of the other things of the world into their worship, that they actually grew. More people wanted to come to worship. More people wanted to come. It's fun. It actually grew, and then God destroyed it. Then God destroyed it. But Babylon will end up doing the same thing as Nineveh. They'll think they're secure in their walls, and their walls will be brought down. So never, never, never think that anything is too big to fall. Walk with God. Walk with God. Walk to God. He is our power. He is our strength. He is our director. The shepherds are to protect the sheep. They're to provide for the clothing and meat from the sheep, for the people, fertilizer for the the fields and things of that nature. All that that the sheep would provide. The shepherds would serve a twofold purpose in that day. They'd be watchmen to watch out for wolves that might come in and lions and bears that would try to take the sheep. And so they would be a watchman for that. But also in that day, it wasn't unusual for shepherds to be watchmen for approaching armies. That's why... An approaching army was wise to have those guys that went before the kind of like the spies. And when they'd say, yeah, there's shepherds here, there's shepherds there, all that. And then they'd go back and they would figure out how to get them. And you see, if you're going to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to take leadership. Satan's spies are after you first. But our God has his eyes on us. The world's kings don't have their eyes on those others. They have them on themselves. But our God, our King of kings, has his eyes on us. He's our protector. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Just trust and obey. So the shepherds are those who seem to have decided, well, you know what? I'm tired of doing all of this. I'm tired of doing all this work. We're going to do it our way. Now, it's interesting because the shepherds actually had power with the people, especially if they were teachers in their various religions. The Jewish uh, priests, they had great power. Others had power, and the people looked to them. They want to make sure that when the military or the, the uh, lawmakers were, were not quite straight, that they could find help and counsel and wisdom from men of religion. They were to watch to protect them and keep them and help them. But these shepherds sleep. They will not stand. 
they will not take that stand. And so, these people move in. Isn't it interesting? If he slumbers as a regular shepherd, wolves come in and get the sheep. I, I remember years ago hearing it for the first time, and I've heard it many times since. But football coaches telling their ball players, be home by 11. Nothing good happens after 11 o'clock. And they're right. I mean, alcohol, drugs, sexual misconduct, shootings, and much more. You'll find that when you read in the paper, well, this college player got caught, this professional football player got caught. What do you find out? It was after midnight. It was after 11. It'd be good if dads took the headship of their home and made sure that their, whoever lives under their roof is in by 11. Well, I trust my kids. What, well, dummy? It's not about trusting your kids. Don't trust the devil because he's going to tempt your kid and you're not going to be there to do anything about it. Trust the Lord. For some reason or other, he made us to sleep at night. Trust the Lord. Now, it's not that those three positions that we've mentioned here are bad or evil of themselves. It's the people who occupied those positions that are wrong. We need government. We need law. We need leadership. We need people in place. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But when they become corrupt in the time, the philosophy that they teach and for what they stand will also corrupt the people. It'll corrupt the nations. It'll corrupt families. It'll corrupt individuals. And we must keep it in mind that with all these people and these issues, the king, the crown, those lawmakers, all areas of judicial and legislative and executive branches of government. When you take all of that, we've got to still remember what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. But the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power... Re- Resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall have received to themselves damnation, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou not then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to, to thee for good. But if thou wilt do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon them that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause, pay you tribute, to all, uh, tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor is due. Look, 
The Bible tells us, as citizens, we are to be in subjection to authority that is over us. Nebuchadnezzar was called God's servant, and he was the most wicked king that ever lived. Daniel is serving in his kingdom. He sees all the evil that goes on about them, but he's highly esteemed by Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel never compromises the word of God. In the very first chapter of Daniel, the king says, I want you to eat this meat, drink this wine. And Daniel says, God doesn't want us eating that. You can kill me, but I'm not going to do it. Let me, let's just try it for 10 days my way, God's way, and let's see what God does. And of course, God always wins. Chapter 4, here's the king. Look at Babylon that I have built. Oh, look what I've done. And Daniel says, uh, you better repent and get right with God. Or he's going to take you from here and he's going to put you in a field. You're going to eat like an animal. Guess what? A year later, he was in a field eating like an animal. And yet, in it all, Daniel respected the king. You say, well, then what's the difference? Well, 1 Timothy 2, verse 3, uh, 1 through 4, he tells us there, he says, I exhort therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and all. Uh, honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, this is an accountability issue for we people who are saved. We pray for, we love our country. Yet, as Daniel and the three Hebrew children in, in Daniel chapter 3, we speak up for God, His Word. When government says one thing, God's word says another thing, we always stand with the Lord. Now, in this country, we get to vote. And, and, and primarily for a saved person, look, I don't think you should vote a Republican. I don't think you should vote Democrat. I think you should vote righteousness. And you say, well, none of these guys are righteous. I, I agree. But understand. When a person will stand against homosexuality, abortion, these homosexual marriages, abortion, when they're against drugs, when they're for protecting the country and things like that, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What you're looking at is what are biblical principles, morals, and laws, that Judeo-Christian ethic built on the word of God that this country is founded upon, that biblical principle. That's how you vote. That's how you vote for the guy that will stand for that. But there's a contrast the Bible shows us. Yes, we should honor kings. We should honor the military. We should honor uh, those that uh, are in law enforcement and that protect this land. But there will always be bad people in all those areas. There are bad people in churches. And by the way, if a pastor gets caught being immoral and it's in the front pages, I think that is wonderful. I want it to be a shock to society that a man of God would do some of those immoral things. I'm afraid we're getting into a society that's not like that any longer. But again, 
I fear that we live in a day where churches are going more and more into the philosophy of the world. And some of them grow thereby. But the day comes when men become more lovers of pleasure than lovers of God as a result of that. That you'll see just like they did in Israel and throughout history. A spike up in order to come down and crash hard. And so let's stand for Jesus Christ. Now finally, we're admonished in scriptures. In Matthew chapter 23, by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He called the Pharisees, those that were in position of authority, he called them blind guides, vipers, serpents, whited sepulchers, hypocrites. And we read in the first three verses, though, before he says all that, Jesus says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe. That observe and do, but do not after their works, for they say and they do not. Yes, we have responsibility to obey laws that are not a moral issue, but we don't like them. I mean, anybody knows that driving down 36, it's better to go 50 mile an hour. But you may get a ticket. Now, those guys that are law enforcement officers here for the sheriff's department, you don't live in, you're outside of your jurisdiction, so I can say that. <laughs> don't talk to the police department, okay? I'm having fun. But now listen, Paul, Paul in Acts chapter 23, he's brought before the council. He's standing for what's right. He's standing for what is good. And as he's standing there, they say, this guy, blah, blah, and he says, I've stood in good conscience and so forth before God and man. And the high priest says, hit that man in the mouth. And we read his response in verses 3 through 5. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Now look. Paul's failure was not to respect, but he did stand for what was right. And so he apologizes immediately. He says, you know what, I shouldn't have said that. Now look, whether it's Obama or whether it's Trump, you may hate them, you may love them, but you respect their office. But you can speak just as strongly for or against when they're Issues line up with the word of God. They take a stand against uh, abortion. I'm going to stand with them, speak up well. They stand up for it. I'm going to say they're doing the stupid thing. They're wrong. That's evil. Nothing wrong with saying that. 
Now, you say, oh, should I take a stand for Jesus? Yes, but the first thing you need to do is make sure you're walking with him as a Christian. Are you walking with Jesus? And, and I say that, do you have a daily time of God's word? Do you walk with Jesus Christ every day? Are you serving him? Are you faithful? Are you faithful to him? Are you faithful to his house? Are you faithful to obey? You say, why you say that? Because if you take a stand, the devil's going to attack and you're going to have to withstand. If you're not walking with the Lord, you're not going to be able to withstand. If you've got disobedience in your life to God and his word, you're not going to be able to stand up. Devil beat you down to the ground. But you may be here today and you say, you know what, I can agree. Man, I'm against those things you just said and I'm for those things that you said you're for. Boy, I'm, I agree with you, but my friend, if you're not saved, if you don't know, if you die today, that heaven's your home. <clears throat> that stuff won't do you any good. I mean, I'll be happy that you take a right stand, but it won't get you to heaven. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. My friend, if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to do this first thing. Now, I mentioned political things here just a little bit ago. Just think. I want you to put this in your mind for just a moment. Don't speak. Please don't speak. Uh, think of the person, political person, right now, leader, that you think has done the most harm to our country. Now, don't say their name. Just think. Just think. And think, I, I'm talking about moral. They're the most immoral person I've ever heard of. In leadership. They're the most ungodly. They're, they're against our God. Think of it. Now, you might say, a saved person can't talk that way. A saved person can't stand that way. But my friend, as bad as some of those things are, if you're not sure if you die today that heaven's your home, you need to be saved just as bad as he is. You see, in God's sight, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's glory is Jesus Christ. We're not compared to one another. We're compared to Jesus Christ. We all come short. If you're going to go to heaven, you need a Savior, and Jesus Christ is that Savior. See, your sin called for the death penalty. That death penalty was final, complete separation forever from God in the lake of fire. No escape, no ceasing to exist, no hope. That was the penalty. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid our penalty. He was buried. Three days later, he rose bodily from the grave. That would ensure that he could raise you from the dead and take you to heaven, give you a new body, give you a... a not only save you from the power and presence of sin, but one day save you, save you completely where you'll see sin no more. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see, but will you see him as a saved person? Do you know that if you die today that heaven's your home? If you don't know that, my friend, come to him today. We've got people that are here that are trained in the word of God and they'll open the Bible and show you how you can know that if you die today, heaven's your home. But we can't do that if you don't come. Let's bow our heads.